Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Um, words can't describe how excited I am to talk about this episode. I feel like I have been waiting all of season three for this episode. Like, this is such a turning point for the season. This episode really, and I mean, it's hard to put into words for the people who haven't seen the show before, but it really becomes the catalyst for season three. Like, I feel like season three has been really good up until this point, but this is when season three becomes iconic. Yeah. And I think it's been really good because there's been a lot of build up to this moment. Like you can kind of see where Faith is coming from, where Buffy's coming from. You see and understand even like how Giles got to where he's at. And I mean, like we'll talk about the character progression from season one Giles to now and how that's kind of mirrored in Wesley. Um, This is just a great episode on its own, but it's also great because of the build up and all of the foundation that has been set before it. So season three, episode 14, Bad Girls, written by Douglas Petrie, directed by Michael Lange, aired February 2nd, 1999. So Faith is the shadow side to Buffy's slayer self, um, just as Cordelia is kind of the shadow side to Buffy's human side. Um, this is, you know, obviously going to be about Faith. She's the opposite side of the spectrum from Kendra, rash, impulsive, not self-controlled, and she's who Buffy could choose to be. So our theme for season three has been choices, and I feel like this episode completely embodies that entire theme and that entire concept. Who's Buffy going to choose to be? Is she going to choose to be more impulsive and rash and hedonistic like Faith, or is she going to choose a different route? So Eliza Dushku says, truthfully, I get misunderstood sometimes because everyone says, oh, you just love to play the bad girl because she's so bad and because it's just so fun to be evil. It's not just about that. It's about I have a connection to a bad girl character that makes it more than just so black and white and more than just so evil. People that were watching Faith were really surprised when at times they felt sympathy for her or they felt compassion and it wasn't just, oh, here's this black and white monster bad girl. I think that it's more about just playing interesting women and having contrast so that there's more to the girl next door, which I really, really, really love um, because I feel like so often it's easy to type cast characters into a certain like set. And I love that you can even see the way that Eliza plays Faith. She plays it very nuanced and layered. And it's not just, oh, this girl has daddy issues or whatever. She plays her as a real person that would be going through those real situations and those experiences and trauma. Like, shocker, people are three-dimensional yes. people. And so I love when television or movies can um, make quote-unquote characters actual people and i really feel like as much as i love like movies and television from probably be- honestly before like the 90s if you really look at them not m- not a ton of them were three-dimensional characters or just well fleshed out characters in general like genuinely and this is coming from somebody who grew up on all of those movies and shows like as you get older you realize huh 
Like they don't really show a lot of their flawed characters. And if they do show how flawed they are, they don't really show yeah. their humanity um, because people do crappy things and they're not defined by those things. Everyone does crappy things. And that's the whole moral dilemma of, is this person a good person or a bad person? And I love that they tackle that with face character. And I love, and we'll talk about more. I say that all the time. Um, but in this episode with Buffy, you see the little bit darker side of Buffy, but we know that that's not who Buffy is. And so I think that's so important to have both of those girls go through the same situation in this episode. And then one seemingly a bit more darkened and one seemingly a bit more um, closely tied to her humanity, go through the same situation, but feel bad about it in different ways. Um, And seeing them a little bit process it very differently, which is a very nuanced idea. And I love, 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 love how they tackled it in this episode. Also, by the way, I'm a bit sick, so my voice is gone. That's why Sarah's speaking a bit more. You're like, what the heck is going on with her? Who is this person? I think that kind of what both of you guys have said, but I think that people have a hard time seeing characters as more than one thing. I think that they mm-hmm. love to have a good mm-hmm. guy be a good guy and they love to have a bad guy be a bad guy. But ultimately, that's just not realistic. And I mean, obviously, sometimes that kind of stuff is good. You watch a Disney movie, like a little kid's movie, and it's easier to make the, the princess good and, you know, the villain bad. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like that kind of idea is not bad. It can do itself well. You watch superhero movies and a lot of the times it's the superhero is the good guy and the villain is the bad guy. Like, but I think that especially with TV shows, you have to make your characters more real because ultimately like a lot of TV show characters, it's, they're so much more interesting to watch when they are more relatable and they're more realistic. And the thing is, you cannot have a realistic character without showing layers. And I like mm-hmm. that because no character in Buffy is fully good. Whether you see it in season three or you're going to see it in season seven or anywhere in between, every single character does bad things, does stupid stuff, does something. Some greater than others, some way more times than others, but everyone does something stupid because people mess up. But I also like that they show that on the other side where it's like you see these characters that typically you would look at from the outside and be like, that is an awful character, but they have their good moments or they have their reasons or they have their whatever. Like, And that's what makes them interesting. And that's what makes like the dynamic of the show interesting to watch is because the characters themselves are figuring things out. So it's like we're trying to figure out with them. Yeah. And kind of going to your point and talking about, you know, Disney movies and stuff like that, it's so funny because this is another example of the show maturing and growing up because now it was, oh, the villains are kind of like layered. Let's talk about Spike being kind of gray and then, oh, Angelus, you know, but we aren't fully delving into what happens if someone that is human is – uh, kind of toying with the darker side. And so we have Faith here who's kind of playing a little bit with the more morally gray and not so gray areas of being a slayer and even just being a human. And that's kind of just exemplifying that the show is growing up and that Buffy is growing up. You know, I love, um, I was reading this thing where they were talking about how like, it's interesting that this episode happens after Buffy turns 18 because there's a sense of her being like, I'm 18 now. Like, 
I don't ha- have rules or I can start ditching class or I'm going to be graduating soon. Like there's a sense of like we don't have to follow the rules as much. I was also just going to say I think it's interesting because because she's 18, this is like there's a adult consequences. So it's like, yeah, she's an adult, so she has adult freedoms, but she also has adult consequences now. Okay, so think about that quote that we just talked about with Eliza. Now, listen to this quote. So this is from the book Slayers and Vampires, which the quote from Eliza was also from there. David Fury says, it's another example of bringing up Sarah's game and having another layer on the show, one who plays up her sexuality. Playing bad girls is better than playing good girls for an actor. There's always going to be more ripeness to it. There never seemed to be any tension between them that I ever witnessed, but certainly the characters themselves, you know, have to kind of raise your game. Her character was just the sexier version of what Buffy was because Buffy is the good girl and more grounded. Buffy is beautiful and can play a great romantic scene, but to have someone with Eliza's sexuality out there dancing, there's always that homoerotic quality that's going on between them two. They were two sides of the same coin. So it's not like the worst quote, but there was also a couple other quotes that were like this that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Someone was talking about faith, sexuality, and the sense that like they were kind of making it seem um, dirty and talking about it in a more negative way. And it's just very interesting reading these quotes outside of the context or outside of the show and going, oh, this is where the writers kind of got these ideas, like the whole idea of like punishing women for sex. Um, because you see Faith being very much enjoying sex and being a little bit more promiscuous. And there's this sense of like, oh, she can get away with that because she's the bad girl or she's kind of playing with fire and all this other stuff. And so it's just very interesting reading these quotes and then also kind of hearing him like, like he says, Buffy is beautiful, but Eliza's sexuality, almost like he conflating the two characters and the actors together, the actresses. Well, and it's also um, supposed to be like, oh, well, Buffy's the innocent one, blah, blah, blah. So like- Yeah, so she's so not sexy. Eliza's, yeah, so um, Eliza, and it's also like, oh, well, Buffy was the- virgin buffy was the she was the innocent one the untouched blah 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 the the pure one whereas like eliza's the dirty one the bad one so she could be associated with sex well and it's just dumb that he says they're two sides of the same coin but then it's like okay but then if you're saying that one is not sexy and one is you can't say that buffy isn't as sexy as faith when one sex being sexy doesn't always mean the same thing and it always doesn't mean any one thing i'm beating a dead horse but it's just i think it's important to dissect some of these quotes for what they are because they really do reflect onto the show and they do kind of enlighten and illuminate some of the thinking that's going on behind the script writing so buffy the vampire slayer in philosophy has a really interesting quote. They say, this episode is a crossroads episode for Buffy, goes along with our theme of choice. In Faith, Hope, and Trick, we talked about, I'm going to butcher this name, but it's eudaimonism, eudaimonism, something like that, um, which is basically the basis of moral goodness is the fulfillment of human nature to its highest potential. The Buffy verse consistently reflects the platonic view that a just person is always happier than an unjust person. So we kind of see here in this episode, Faith is more of a hedonistic type of philosophy, or she exemplifies a hedonistic lifestyle in the sense that we're all going to die. Let's just live today for today, and I'm just going to enjoy myself as much as possible. And it's really important to recognize that because you see Buffy kind of flirting with this idea as well. 
since season one, the driving force for Buffy is that she cannot stand back and refuse her calling as a slayer if it will cause innocent people to suffer. To boil it down to its simplest form, a life full of pleasure is inadequate and insufficient compared to one of self-sacrifice and morality. And that's kind of what you see Buffy really really wrestling with here because Faith looks like she's having a grand old time. She doesn't have to do homework. She doesn't have Giles and now Stuffy Wesley up her butt. And so Buffy's over there like, I want that life. Why don't I just give it a taste and try, you know? And I also do think that it's normal. It's normal for, I think, especially girls like hundred percent to kind of be taught a certain way. And then it's like once you get that little ounce of freedom, you're like, oh, like – uh, I don't want to do that. Anymore. I like this. Or I don't, yeah, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> and I and I think that it's like Buffy's now getting older, and so she's starting to challenge things. She started to be like, hmm, like why am I doing what am I doing? Uh, what yes. am I doing? Why am I doing what okay. I'm doing? I don't think that makes Buffy like bad. I think that makes no. her think for herself. <laughs> yeah, like she's a teenage yeah. girl who has so much responsibility and. I think that it's good and it's healthy that she's actually questioning why she does what she does because it's way more important to have a Buffy who knows what she's doing and why she's doing it rather than like a mindless drone like Kendra. Mm-hmm. I love Kendra. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> no, Kendra but would that's have had Kendra a lot more – Yeah, Kendra would have had a lot more fight. She actually believed in what she was doing instead of just being told what she was supposed to do. As women – I feel like girls get this more so than guys. I'm not discrediting guys who go through this, but as a woman generation or a woman whatever, most women grow up being told not to question authority. I feel like more so than boys. Mm. We're told to stay in our lays more more mm-hmm. so than boys because it might make guys stumble or like like there's so many things a guy's supposed to lead, so we're supposed to keep our mouth shut. Like there's so many things that girls are being told we're either yeah, either subtly or yeah. being told in our face that we're we're too much if we do this, or if we we do this, then that's not good. Or um, we don't do something, then we're complying. Like there's so many things, and so I like the fact that in this episode, Buffy is kind of. In, I like that this is the episode that we bring in Wesley because it kind of toys with the whole idea of authority and do we just listen to somebody for the purpose of listening to them because they're over me. Um, and having someone like Wesley come in, kindly I'm mentioning like a mindless droid, droid or whatever. Um, Wesley kind of represents the type of authority that just spews out knowledge, but has no experience and or passion. And we see that in Giles. Mm-hmm. It's like Buffy, Buffy 100%. coming in. And I didn't realize that literally until I was speaking. So this is literally just new knowledge to me right now. Um, <laughs> that happens to me a lot. I'll start speaking. I'm like, oh my gosh. Where is this even coming from? No, I actually agree. I There's been some times where th- – I'm very much exposing myself right now. But there's been some times <laughs> where like I'll watch the episode and I'll write stuff in my notes and I'm like, oh, that's cool. And like I'll learn stuff while I watch the episode. But sometimes I feel like I learn so – like I think more when we're on the podcast because then I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. like – like because when I'm talking about it, then I feel like sometimes I I – understand more of where they were wanting it a little to go. Bit more. Yeah. yeah. And then obviously yeah. like talking about it with you guys too, but that it's – and then also sometimes I'll go back and watch old episodes and I'll be like listening and I'm like, that was a good point, Leah. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, um, before I forget though, I'm going to get this up before I forget again. Um, very interesting. Yes, I agree, Leah. Um, but <laughs> having the whole point of having Wesley in and like Buffy doesn't come in – like immediately trusting Wesley, which I feel like 
maybe I'm wrong. You guys can correct me. But it's like I feel like that wouldn't be the case a couple episodes ago. I really feel like she would struggle between following Wesley and Giles. But I really feel like there'd be some sort of a tug and pull. Whereas like Buffy comes in and I really feel like because a lot of it has to do with Faith. Faith kind of tests the boundaries with her and with Slayers in general. Um, And obviously she'd have a loyalty towards Giles. But I love that she comes in and she's like new watcher and then she just like ignores him. And the whole episode she kind of disregards a lot of what he says. Even when he like knows exactly who like the vampires are in this episode, she doesn't really care that much. Um, but also the second thing is Faith and Buffy are doing the exact same thing throughout this episode, right? They're getting the same amount of trouble. Obviously, the very last like 10 minutes, not the same trouble, but like they're doing the same things. They're they're skipping out on stuff. Buffy's bailing on her friends, which is what Faith has has done before. Like they go on mindless troll uh, what's the word i'm looking for mindless patrols i want to say trolls i don't know why then they break into a shop and they 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 get out of the cop car situation like there's so many things that they do that are the same but this is why it's so important and i need everyone all the listeners to listen because i think we all know this but i think we need to like (laughs) really know this we are not defined by what we do and even though Buffy and Faith are doing the same thing, you can tell that the whole time Buffy feels bad about it. You can tell that Buffy clicks out of it. Even Faith has those moments where she comes back to the dead body. And even though she does end up dumping it, you see that she feels a little bit like jarred by it. Um, like we may do things that we ourselves disagree with, but it's all about like, you know, if we feel bad about it and we make steps to work on our- ourselves and like, Having a moral compass is probably the most important thing in these situations. But because um, you could look at what Buffy's doing and be like, what the heck, Buffy? What in the world? But knowing and seeing how she's become and all the things that have been happening in season three and then watching her response to all of it, we know that that's not who Buffy is. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, what separates the two slayers are the individual choices that they make because Faith does good because it feels good while Buffy does good because it is good. And I think hopefully we will watch both of them learn things from this. And I mean, the end of the episode isn't promising, but we'll see in the future. Hopefully Faith doesn't go too far down this path. Um, and I think that because Buffy ultimately desires to do good because it is the right thing to do. She resists the temptation to turn her back on her duty while Faith seems to be succumbing to it more and more. Mark Fields talks about how Faith is action without taking time to think, while Kendra is the opposite side of this, and Buffy needs to be the balance of it. So I really, really love how we've explored Kendra's side. Now it's Faith's side, and we're watching Buffy like wrestling with it. And I mean, we've we've really talked about this topic on the spoiler section about how the the different slayers that come in are supposed to show different sides of Buffy. And I love that they do that because Kendra was supposed to show the fact that Buffy needed to view like being a slayer as more so of like her life. Like this is not a, a part-time job. This is not like a Oh, whenever you want, blah, blah, blah. It's like, a, no, 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 this is who you are. Like, Kendra was supposed to show the fact that Buffy was able to think on her feet and wasn't so rigid, which is what kept her alive. She also had attachments to the world. And then you have Faith come in, who's the polar opposite, like you said, of Kendra. And I think what's cool about Faith is the fact that Faith is too much on that side, where Faith is so not rigid, 
has no boundaries, has no whatever regard. And we're seeing that Buffy's like, okay, I don't want to be that. Like I, I like going with the flow. I like, you know, being loose, but I also, I still want to have a moral compass. I still want to be good. Yeah. And I think Faith's enthusiasm for slang and her just zest for life is something that Buffy could definitely learn from. So I love that there's good aspects and bad aspects and Buffy kind of just needs to figure out what kind of slayer she's going to be. And I think this episode or and this season in general is very fascinating because it's kind of like, yeah, Buffy is accepted she's a slayer. Now who is what kind of slayer is she going to be? All right. Now that the introduction is done, let us jump into the episode that we just so thoroughly analyzed. We don't need to talk about anything else. Just kidding. I kind of thought this opening shot with Faith and Buffy as they're kind of like synchronized slang with the two vamps was very reminiscent of Revelations when they were really in sync before all this stuff happened. And I like the parallel because I think that it's really important to show, hey, they seem to have kind of like gotten over whatever hump it was in Revelations and are working back together as a team again even though we never really saw the progression of Faith just jumping back in with the Scoobies, but we're just going to ignore that for now. <laughs> I love that um, the show, when they're trying to drive in a certain story arc or a character arc or whatever, they'll make little tie-ins on past episodes that are supposed to tie in with this one, and there were a few of them with Glendale yeah. Post. So maybe that was done on purpose. Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly certain it was, but... Okay, and then the fact that they're talking about sleeping with Xander, I was like, this is not how I wanted to start off this episode. Like, I do appreciate that, like, Faith – I don't know. Actually, I don't think she told Buffy. I think she was she just didn't, asking if Buffy – She didn't, which I actually noted because it was way. like – It's a, her way of kind of being like warming her up to the idea of it so that if she ever does talk about it, it's not a huge shock. You know what I mean? Partly. I also saw it as – I think – okay, so there's the whole – we'll talk about it in a second. There's the whole seductive aspect of this, the homoerotic um, subtext between Faith and Buffy specifically in this episode. And I think that's intentionally there because they're trying to show in a way Faith luring and seducing Buffy to this side of, the, of slaying. Um, but there's also the subtext there as well. And I think that there's this on, – on a whole other level, this is Faith – wanting Buffy's life. And so I think it's affirming for Faith if she's like, ooh, Buffy also wants Xander. So like, look at me like kind of uh, being a part of Buffy's life. I you just know? think it's funny. Poor Xander. Like, because I, I do think Whoa, the first time I heard Xander. that. Because I think it's so bad that like the girl that he literally like, like lost his virginity to is trying to get affirmation about sleeping with him. <laughs> like she's trying to be like, you've thought about Xander that way, right? Like, other people have thought about him like that. Like, I'm not crazy for wanting to sleep with him. Like, it's no. just so bad. Like, that sucks. Like, regardless of who Xander is as a person, like, that is, oh, that is going to hurt anybody's pride. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. That's hilarious. <laughs> and then, you know, Faith's whole talking about what are friends for, you know, basically it's the whole use them and lose them type of stuff that she was talking about in Beauty and the Beasts. And they really, really ramp up the sexual undertones with Faith and Buffy in this episode. Like, it's very, very apparent. And obviously, there's the whole – a lot of the Fuffy shippers like to see that subtext throughout the entirety of season three. But in this episode, I feel like is the peak of it simply because they're trying to make a point, which I mentioned before. So then three vampires sneak up on them 
And Faith is just looking like she's loving life and enjoying this and having so much fun. And it's just, it's such an interesting view of slaying versus how we've seen Buffy slay up till now. It's just kind of like she'll pun or whatever, but it's mostly like, let's just get the job done so I can go home and or move on with the rest of my life. And there's a lot of parallels. I think kind of what you're mentioning, Tabby, there's a lot of parallels to previous episodes. I mean, Buffy's over here like that was me fighting for my life misattention span, which I feel like is a, is a line I should use on you, Leah. Accurate. I feel like Faith, Hope, and Trick, Buffy was very frustrated by how Faith started just like taking out her rage on that one vampire when they were um, jumped by a bunch of them. And I think they're trying to set the stage with these like tiny little callbacks. One, because it's been a while since we've had a Faith-centric episode. But two, they're trying to be like, hey, look, we're being we're trying to show you where we were leading to with all of that stuff. So they notice that the swords are gone from the vampires and we cut to the mayor's office when suddenly the swords have appeared. And hey, Mr. Trick and the mayor, we haven't seen them in a while. I'm so glad they're back. Yay, we're moving forward with the overarching storyline. It's about time. You literally forget about them. Like you're literally like, oh yeah, like there is an overarching villain in this one and it's not just everyone just kind of chilling for a season. I really feel like the mayor and Faith have been like sidelined for episodes. They really have. And Alan Finch, I think the last time we saw him was in Homecoming, which I think is the episode that the mayor is revealed in. I think it's Homecoming. I did not know his name. So the past few episodes in my notes, I've just put dead guy. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that's so sad. Poor Alan, R.I.P. <laughs> also, I got to say, Mr. Trick is very good at his job, and I guarantee that the guy who previously held his position was probably not as quick and efficient in getting information to the mayor as like as Mr. Trick is but the fact that like he knows the second that there are bad guys in town that are not supposed to be there like I am very very impressed as someone whose husband works in the military and the government like that's not how the government normally works so very impressive. Your husband on, works on in the levels. government? <laughs> yeah, you didn't know that. <laughs> you have a husband? And then this dialogue is really interesting because the mayor asks who's the owner of this and tricks like the common term is slain, but I've seen this breed around. And so he's inferring about the slayers. And like, I think they like hinted at that the mayor is aware. Yeah, the mayor is aware of Buffy and stuff like that. But it's just very interesting. It's so weird to be watching this huge villain working in the shadows and Buffy has no clue that he's the villain and like what's even going to happen. It's just strange. <laughs> Ironically, like the mayor is like someone high up. So I think in her mind, she's just assuming like, why would an evil person be a politician? Which, uh, you know, irony. But like, it's just like one of those things where it's like, why would an evil person want to be the mayor of Sunnydale? Like, what do you get out of that? And I mean, we don't even really know why he's the mayor. Yeah, it's true. Um, I just also want to comment this whole thing where like they're talking about like the comics that they really like. And then, you know, Finch tries to like come in with his little thing and he's like, I really like to read Kathy. And they just like stare at him. I was like, I feel like I am Alan in the dynamic of our podcast. Like Tabby, you and Leah will be all like, oh, we, I really love Taylor Swift. And I'm over here and I'm like, I like Into the Woods. And you're like, it's actually Out of the Woods, Sarah. <laughs> Into the Woods, the, the musical. That's literally what I thought when you said that. I was like, wait, I, I actually don't know what you're talking about this situation. Well, then I felt so stupid because she's literally like, are we out of the yeah, woods Yeah, literally says that bajillion times. Like, are we into the woods? 
Oh my gosh. Oh, so stupid. Check out I our mean, you have good taste guys. though, because Out of the Woods is a criminally underrated bop. So it is. I yeah, love, I love it. Into the Woods. That along with Getaway Car, man. Oh, uh, yeah. The bridges and both those songs are just immaculate. Driveway Car yeah, is my so favorite good. song. Getaway Car, not Driveway Car. <laughs> she's making a joke. Sarah. Did I say Driveway Car? No, she's <sighs> making a joke of what you would oh, say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, I definitely said Getaway Car. Not me explaining the joke to you. Oh. All right. Well, no, I've just been really bad about like saying the wrong word lately. And I don't even realize I'm saying stupid this, whatever. Anyway, you guys know. Okay. And then we kind of get the first real like glimpse into what the mayor is planning. He's like, talks about an ascension. He talks about how he's waited longer than he can imagine for this. That along with Balthazar talking, we're like, okay, this guy is pretty old. And then he's talking about how he's going to be invincible for a hundred days and then on a higher plane. Like, whoa, we went from knowing nothing about this guy's plan at all to him being literally invincible by the end of this episode. Like quite a jump there. I also do think it is Interesting to note that Alan doesn't seem to like the idea of the mayor's plan. He seems really uncomfortable with it. And I never caught that before. And I was reading up some like theories, and some people think that Alan is the one that put that vampire in the mayor's cupboard later on in the episode. And then some people actually think that Alan was out roaming the streets because he was looking for Buffy and Faith because he was trying to warn them about the mayor because he doesn't want the ascension to happen. And I thought that was a really good head. Canon. Do you guys think Alan is the one who put the honestly vampire in the I cupboard? I don't give two licks about Alan. If I'm being honest, <laughs> oh, he is so, so unimportant to me. Like I'm really just like, okay. I honestly didn't even know his name till you just asked me that question right now. <laughs> I've been putting dead guy the past couple episodes every time he's brought up. Oh my a gosh! Scene. Oh my gosh! All right, well that's my head cannon. I don't think I've wrote a single note about <laughs> Alan. Alan McAllen. Oh, hilarious. All right. Well, I think Alan is the the betrayer to the mayor. Ha <laughs> ha Okay, nobody appreciates me around here. Moving on. All right. So then the gang, the Scooby Gang, <laughs> you guys. It was just the ha ah, ah. <laughs> And then the quick I have to know what appreciates me. I was like, I knew you didn't even give me time to laugh. Oh my gosh. I'm also just waiting for the meat of the episode. You ask me questions about some people I don't care. I don't care about. The only time I care about him is when he's taking his last breath. Oh. And I'm like, oh, maybe I maybe I should care about him. Okay, this next scene where they're talking about college admissions, I was like, Oh, yeah, they're graduating at the end of this year. Like, how's the show going to look moving forward? Like, are they going to be in college? Like, this is so strange. It's just very weird. I feel like we've been talking about so many big issues that we forget that they're still in high school. It's just very odd. Yeah, I wonder if they know, Alan. Jeez. <laughs> I'm going to be plagued by this for the rest of the episode, aren't I? <laughs> you guys snap out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy poor alan justice for alan man i love how willow's like i'm so overwhelmed i got in and she's like real life colleges now they're wooing me they're pitching woo and she's like says overwhelmed with like this giant smile on her face i was like mm, sure willow mm, sure um also fun fact apparently an early draft of this episode revealed that willow's middle name is danielle and we never find that out in later seasons that's so boring willow danielle I should have had a shorter middle name. Willow Danielle. It kind of works. That does not go at all. I think it works. What? Willow Danielle? Like, maybe Willow Michelle. That feels a little bit better. 
But it's not her name and um her character. Willow and, and Michelle. Pie, American Pie. <laughs> Willow Michelle. You get your little witchy act down here. I'm not saying both of them are great. I'm just saying Michelle is better than Danielle. You guys Willow are, Danielle. You guys are so judgy this episode. You're like, geez, Alan, why are you breathing? Why are you existing? <laughs> I'm like, you're not allowed to breathe. Oh, wait a minute. You're not breathing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Murder is not funny, Tabby. <laughs> and then Oz's little thing like, except if I could suggest graduate, getting left behind, not the thrill ride you'd expect. And we're like, Oz, I don't think anybody anticipates repeating high school to be enjoyable or fun. Like no one knows why you held back a year other than the fact that you wanted to be around Willow. Like I don't get it. I, I literally just think that Oz like d- stopped doing school and then like probably tried to do other stuff and then was like, I guess I need school and my girlfriend's in school, so. He probably just forgot to apply for college or do anything else and was like, oh, well, you know, Sunnydale is doing their stuff again. I'm just going to, like, go back and do that. Oh, no, I missed my summer school classes. All right, well, repeating 12th grade again. (laughs) Okay, what were your guys' thoughts on this interaction between Cordelia and Xander? (sighs) Poor Cordelia. I just like this. Moving on. (laughs) I just, no. I'm just kidding. (laughs) My... The conversation, like, I didn't really think much of, of it other than, oh, let's shoehorn one interaction of Salty Cordelia in this episode and then not see her again. It just kind of made me mad. Yeah, that's true. We don't see her again in this episode. Like, this is the only interaction we get of her. They literally put her in a random episode of her being salty towards Xander and that's it. Yeah, that's interesting. I did – okay, so I won't necessarily say this is growth, but I think in the Whedon verse, it is growth. Because their interaction felt very much like season one, early season two, Cordelia and Xander interaction. And so it felt like we're maybe moving forward a bit past the betrayal and past everything that happened there. Um, I'm not saying that like we should go back to that dynamic because it wasn't healthy, but it didn't feel like Cordelia is as much in pain anymore, which I really was happy about. But I feel like at this point, it's just like, it's doing a disservice to her character. It's like it's either either show growth and progression or some change or just write her off the show. Like it's just it's a little annoying to me that she's like keeps being brought in but mm-hmm. like half-heartedly and all this stuff because it's just it's not worth it. Yeah, it's not I worth agree. her character. It's just a waste for sure. All right, so Buffy and Willow make plans to study at Willow's house for chemistry the next day, and then Buffy decides to go check in with Giles at the library, and Willow's like, I'm warning you, something funky is going down. So this scene, Giles, hilarious. Okay, so first of all, how it's staged. Obviously, there is the parallels between Faith and Buffy, you have the shadow side and of uh, Buffy and Faith, but there's also parallels with Wesley and Giles. And Tabby, you mentioned this earlier on where you're talking about how Wesley is supposed to come in to contrast Giles. And I think that Wesley looks more in action and in appearance like season one Giles. And it's interesting watching them both side by side to see how much Giles has grown since we first were introduced to his character. I mean, Giles is sitting on the table in a position that Buffy normally is. Wesley's behind him, like taking books out of the box and stuff. And it's very much staged exactly how normally would be with Giles in the Buffy position and Wesley in Giles's old position. And with how snarky that Giles is being towards Wesley, 
he's acting kind of like Buffy here. And it's just, it's just a really interesting parallel. Um, and then, of course, the obligatory fun fact. I mean, I don't know anyone in the fandom who doesn't know this fact, but I have to say it anyway. Um, Allison Hannigan and uh, the actor who plays Wesley, Alexis Denisoff, m- actually met on the set of this episode and are married and are married to this day and have two little girls. So cute. I know. It's also kind of crazy because I can't see it at all with the characters. But yeah, they're married and like they're one of, I think, three long-term couples to come out of this show, which is kind of crazy. While Allison was immediately attracted to Alexis and she actually asked him out, he declined, saying that he didn't date coworkers. The two remained friends for over a year before they started dating and they married in September 2003. So cute. Love it. Love them. Their children literally look like carbon copies of Allison. Yeah, they really do. I don't see any of Alexis in them. So I just think it's hilarious how Wesley's like spouting facts and he's acting as if he like knows it all. And Giles is like completely humoring him and yet also making fun of him. And Wesley has no clue. Wesley reminds me of who they wanted Giles to be in season one. Like very stuffy, very by the book, very like not like Fully, but like a little bit, you can see he kind of changed his character a bit towards the end. I also want to note too that they intentionally put Wesley in a suit that's a little bit too big for him. And I just love that little bit of like, you know, character development shown throughout his wardrobe. <laughs> like he's trying to fit into a role that's just not quite a good fit for him, a little too big. I really feel like this is one of those episodes that the costume design people would be so proud of us watching because there's so many even more so in this episode that I think I've picked up the past few episodes this episode has such intentional wardrobe choices yes. especially yes. on Buffy uh-huh. and this is the first the, this is the first scene that you really kind of should pay attention to Buffy's wearing like this lavender I think it's either lavender or pink I don't remember but she has like a little like bow like flower clip mm-hmm. in her hair and she's a little like cami and everything's monotoned mm-hmm. and um, it's like very like pastel-y, very pink, very like innocent, mm-hmm. very girly. And then Faith comes in and she has like this whole dark like ensemble. She has like a sheer shirt with her bra underneath. She has like these dark purple patterned pants and a leather jacket. Um, and so I just want to note that first because mm-hmm. there will be a lot of shifts yes, throughout the episode. I agree. I'm excited to hear you talk about them. I just died laughing when he's talking about, you know, a good slayer is a cautious slayer and Gwendolyn Post and all that stuff. And he like leans in conspiratorially and both Buffy and Giles move back at the exact same time. Oh, this scene is just one of my favorites. It's so fun to watch. I love the play on new watcher, new New watcher. watcher. (laughs) And then Faith comes in. She's like, new watcher. And then both of them say new watcher. And she's like, screw that. I like how she just pretty much walks out. That's the first moment where Buffy kind of looks at Faith and goes, oh, I wish I could do that. And you can kind of see Buffy, like it shifts the gears in her head because later on this season or later on the episode, she's like, screw that. I'm just going to do what Faith does because Faith says no and she doesn't have to do all this other stuff. So it's a really telling moment, but it's also so Faith. This is one of those episodes in television that I'm really just so proud of the writers because it doesn't feel like a dense setup to the climax of this episode. It really feels natural and they didn't have to do much to set up 
for stuff that happens in this episode. So, like, for instance, they really didn't have to set up too much in the beginning of this episode, which you feel right. like they would have to, to be like, Buffy's really struggling with authority and Buffy really wants to not be, have all this pressure on her. We've already seen that. Or right. even in, the, in that whole interaction where she's like, man, I wish I could do that. That's really all we needed. We know that Buffy's struggling when it comes to, like, authority. We had hopeless we had other episodes to kind of build up to that and this is one of those episodes where it just me as a viewer is very thankful because i really feel like dense explanation what's that word expository i don't know what the word i'm looking for is but like just too much explanation and too much build up just kind of brings kind of takes away from the climax of the episode where it's like okay well i kind of guess it now i guessed it because you gave me way too much and now i know exactly where they're going but this is one of those episodes like i've said three times but it's like when you've watched a show so many times and then you see things kind of build up over time this is why like i don't mind um slow burn shows because there are moments like this that they don't have to set up so much in the yeah. exact episode yep. in order for you that. to like really understand where it's going. Um, the script talks about how, you know, when Wesley asks Buffy, anything else you can tell me? In the scene, she looks over to see what Giles thinks first. And like the nod he gives her is like, a, okay, Buffy, we've been giving him a hard time. Like you should tell him stuff. The script says it's a gently remonstrative look from Giles making Buffy grudgingly continue, which that's not at all what's translated in the scene. Instead, it's more of like Giles and Buffy are conspiratorially like, okay, we'll relent. Um, which I thought was like a cool little touch that they decided to add in. So Buffy gives the information to Wesley and he's like, okay, that sounds familiar and tells them that the swords are from 15th century duelist cult. They're deadly and they followed a demon called Balthazar who brought them, but he's dead now. Um, And Wesley says, I've researched this town's history extensively. Have you now, Wesley? Uh, then Wesley brings up the amulet and says, oh, shocker, it's buried here in Sunnydale because every single important demon ever or pilgrim or knight from like 2000 years ago decided to be buried here in Sunnydale, like the literal desert in the middle of Southern California. Which also doesn't make sense. Why is like the yeah. Watchers Council in literal England? Yeah, when, why like, would they be here? It seems like so many of the stuff that's going on is literally right in Sunnydale. Like, why wouldn't you create the Watchers Council where you think most of the Slayers are going to be called? 100%. Yeah, there's no reason. It's just ridiculous. So Buffy leaves to go and try and talk with Faith, catches up and is like, hey, we should give him a second chance. And Faith is like challenging her, saying, you're going to take orders from someone you don't know, essentially. Obviously, thinking back to Gwendolyn Post, and I think it's really interesting that Faith's challenging her on this and kind of like what you were saying earlier, Leah, Faith's going, hey, you're the one with the power here. And this kind of goes back to Helpless, too, where the Watchers Council's giving orders and they just know nothing about Buffy. I also think they're kind of subtle in playing on the idea of the quote unquote goody two shoes and then sure the rebellious character or person, whereas the rebellious person tends to have lower expectations on them because they kind of fight the system. Everyone kind of expects them to be rebellious. So when they don't do their quote unquote homework, like how she says to Buffy, she's like, how about you do the homework? I copy off of you or whatever she says. Yeah. Um, No one really challenges her, even Buffy in that moment, because Mm -hmm. they kind of expect that from her. But if you're always doing what 
you're told or yada, 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 like people are going to get mad at you naturally. We've seen revelations we've seen in Dead Men's Party. Um, people are going to get mad at you when you fall short of that. And so I feel like it kind of feeds into what you're giving out or what like your patterns are. And I think that a lot of people can treat people as they're treating them based on their actions. It's just kind of like what we talked about earlier. Yeah. It's all about managing expectations. And also too, like that's part of becoming an adult is standing up for yourself and saying, hey, no, like I haven't had a night off in a while or no, I'm not going to go to a crypt right now because I have a chemistry test that I have to study for the next day. You know, like, and I think that's something that Buffy hasn't really had to do a ton with Giles. She has done it to a certain extent, but they have a good enough relationship to where Giles is understanding it now at this point in the series where if Buffy needs to take a break, she can. But with Wesley, you get the sense that there's absolutely no like regard for school or anything. Also, side note, what the heck is anybody letting a grown man who does not work at Sunnydale High inside of the school library like wesley should not be there it's a little disturbing or faith true but faith is still technically i think she's a minor i don't know she might not be she looks like she could be a minor i think for wesley you could always say like oh i'm a friend of giles or oh like i'm i'm here to to get like you can lie like there's lies you can come up with he's also a man in a suit and sometimes people don't really question men in suits. Mm, very, very good point. Excellent point. But that that like excuse kind of runs dry after a little bit because if he's saying, I'm a friend of Giles, but comes in every single friggin' day, I'd be like, okay, why are you here though? Yeah, right. So then Faith kind of challenges her a little bit more and is like, hey, you know, staking vampires gets you juice. Like you enjoy it. You get a thrill out of it. And Buffy's, you know, no, I don't. Um, you're way off base. Um, and then Faith says, slang's what we were built for. If you're not enjoying it, you're doing something wrong, which is a really, really interesting concept. And I feel like it's taking Kendra's view of slang one step further. Kendra's like, we are slayers. This is what we were built for and made for doing. Faith's like, hey, we're built to do this. Therefore, let's we are made to enjoy it. Let's enjoy it. And Buffy's not comfortable with that because she's consistently trying to say slayers are not killers. And so it's like, Where's that line, you know? This is a quote from All Things Philosophical. It says, this, this philosophy is similar to Aristotle's functionalistic theory of virtue. Aristotle believed that the point of moral or ethical rules was human happiness. Humans will achieve happiness if they act according to their nature, the real nature of anything. Aristotle argued is determined by the functions it was designed to fill. The way to happiness for a slayer then is to fulfill her function. Faith's attitude rubs off on Buffy as she describes to Willow and Xander, it was like I just let go and became this force. The thrill of the hunt is celebrated in Faith and Buffy's post-slage dance. So again, like if we're watching this episode play out as a seduction, this is Faith going, hey, you like it. I know you do. This is what you're made for. Give into it a little bit. And then once again, Buffy realizes she has the raw end of the deal as she's the responsible one and she has to go after these vamps. And it's frustrating to her because Faith once again doesn't have to do it. So then that night, I love this, this scene. I totally forgot about it. Buffy enters the crypt, finds the amulet. Here's some vampires coming, ends up doing this amazing flip into the crypt and is hiding underneath. I think that this episode, we really saw a lot of the choreography and stuff step up simply because like Faith is in there. And so it's an added layer 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really entertained by a lot of the fight scenes and stuff. I agree. This whole episode, I will say, I think it is shot not, or at least I should say cut as well and staged in a few places. Um, not as well as I have seen it in the past. And I'll talk about them when we get there. But other than that, I mean, this episode is just phenomenal from start to finish. So then Faith uh, appears, which apparently she decided to, you know, she grew a conscience and felt bad that Buffy was doing all the work. So then they both take off and decide to go uh, chase after the vamps. And we see them like jump down like this manhole. And Buffy goes, wait, stop, think. And Faith's like, no, no, no. And Buffy's like, we need, it's a manhole. And she makes a good point. She's like, okay, we're not going to have the chance to fight freely because there's more of them. They know where they're going and it's going to be a tight space. So then Faith just kind of jumps in knowing that Buffy will jump in after her, which I'm like, okay, that's a little unfair. And so then Buffy, you know, feeling the responsibility of Faith takes in after her. Yet again, this is the third time where Buffy's like, ugh, it sucks being the responsible one. So then, you know, Giles and Wesley are in the office and Wesley's going over Giles's watcher diaries, which this part was hilarious as we're hearing Giles's thoughts from Buffy in season one. Um, but it's also a little violating too. A part of me was like, oh no, don't read that. Don't read Giles's thoughts. And I think, I think Giles felt that way too. For sure. I thought that. And then we have this interesting moment where Buffy gets put underwater What was your guys' thoughts on this scene? Because this marks a turning point in the episode when Buffy gets held underwater um, because obviously she was drowned by the master in the first season and there's PTSD there. Like, What were your guys' thoughts on like this whole scene? I just kind of viewed it as her regaining her power and I think that she like – it's hard to explain because it's like she has a different viewpoint on it but then you you tend to – not overexert, but just uh, give it more power, and then it turns into something unhealthy. So rather than just taking ownership of it and be like, you know, that happened to me, I'm going to use my power in it. It's like, a, oh, I overcame it. Um, I'm getting a rush out of it, and no one can stop me. Like, I'm oversimplifying it, but it feels like it's turning into something. Then, rather than just facing it and like empowering that moment. But I, I also love to see the fact that Buffy. It's so funny. The way that I'm going to say this is ironically makes me think of Divergent where Ford tells Triss he's like, like fear to most people makes them shut down. Mm. But to you, does something different. Like mm-hmm. it it wakes you up, which I always thought was such a cool line. And also Theo James looks really sexy when he <laughs> does it. But like I think it's I think that can be said about Buffy is like fear doesn't shut her down like it wakes her up Mm -hmm. and it charges her and I think that this is kind of one of those scenes where it's like this is something that she rightfully so should fear because she died by it and we don't see her sit there and cry in the corner you know like we see her just get up and fight yeah um According to Douglas Petrie, the the writer of the script, he wrote this um, specifically to be a sort of baptism, as in Buffy kind of is turns into a not a new person, but this is like turning a page from here on out. Buffy's um, behavior in this episode changes pretty drastically, um, and even how Sarah plays her is very interesting. And in the very next scene, and from here on out until the last scene of the of the episode, Buffy wears dark clothing, and she starts to wear leather jackets. 
um, and will continue to wear multiple dark leather coats throughout the rest of the episode, except for the end scene. And I think it's interesting because that's normally what Faith kind of wears. So it's just kind of, it's just an interesting thing to note here. Um, it's also really clever too, because this behavior is similar. It's not exactly the same, but it's similar to how Buffy acted in when she was bad after she like is recovering from PTSD with being drowned and bitten by the master, the dancing, the avoiding her friends and kind of blowing them off and such is very like reminiscent of when she was bad and the trauma she felt there. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that she, she's taking Faith's uh, thing of like live in the moment to heart now. Cause she's like, Oh my gosh, I literally almost died. I don't want to die doing things that I don't want to do. So I'm actually going to go out and have fun and enjoy my life. Like she kind of has a new perspective on the way, wh- like what faith's been saying because she nearly drowned. I wonder if there's a purpose of the color purple in the show because Buffy's wearing purple and black in the dancing mm-hmm. scene. And what did she wear in when she was bad? purple mm-hmm, that's uh, true, huh? faith is also wearing purple and black she's wearing a combination of the two but i don't know if there's like a purpose sometimes like i think this show's ruined me because like i'll look at normal things i'm like this could be total coincidence or this could be actually something or am i just being literally idiotic like there's a part where at one point buffy and faith are getting into like a, a sprawl i think it's actually in the oh yeah it's in the the bronze and she has like Buffy has a massive cut on her arm in the same place where Faith has is, her tattoo, yep. and she's we've never seen her have a cut on her arm before. So I'd like to think is there a purpose? Yeah. Well, I was actually going to talk about that in the next episode, um, but there is a purpose. Yeah, we'll talk about it in a second. Um, but yes, and I I think that typically like the just the darker colors and the purple i think it's just supposed to be it's very villain-esque like i think leah mentioned a couple episodes back about how like green and purple in disney movies is like the villain colors when angel was evil angelus is wearing like these um silk purple shirts you know that's true right? yeah. yeah so i think that like and we see later on with um certain other villains they wear purple as well so i think that it is supposed to like show darkness and like evil or whatever it is they're trying to say in this episode. So, yeah. Um, And I will say Buffy is very cool in this scene where she just grabs the sword and picks up the amulet and is like, you know, it didn't suck. So cool. So in the library, um, Wesley's looking at the amulet and Buffy's a little snarky with him. And I think, again, like this is supposed to be like showing the uh, Buffy kind of on a different page than she was in the earlier parts of the episode. Giles, as tender as always, is like, are you all right? Wesley's like, yes, yes, yes. There was more than we anticipated. But remember the three key words for any slayer. I think that we're just seeing this pattern with people that come out of the Watcher's Council is that they are so focused on the mission. They're yeah. so focused on, oh, Big this, picture. Is, this is what we got to do. And they have zero regard for the the well-being of the slayer. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, we'll see in the future what – happens with Wesley. I mean, we know, but you guys will see in the future what happens with <laughs> Wesley. But I think it's interesting because in the beginning we saw this with Giles. Giles wasn't mm-hmm. super like, oh my gosh, like, are you okay? Okay. Like he is now. Um, and I think we're seeing that with Wesley where it's like Wesley has been taught by the Watchers Council, you get the job done no matter what. And he doesn't realize that this is their life every day. Yeah. Well, if Quentin Travers is any indicator, I just don't think they're taught about the actual Slayer as in like, hey, 
uh, make sure they're okay, check in with them. It's uh, see them as a weapon type of thing. It's also really interesting to note because, you know, Wesley says preparation, preparation, preparation. Um, there are several three-word phrases in this episode. So we have wait, stop, think, uh, then this one, preparation, preparation, preparation. And then later we have want, take, have. And I think they do that intentionally kind of just show, to show the progression of Buffy's thinking and even to kind of show, you know, the contrast between Faith's thinking and how the council wants them to think. It's just very interesting. Um, then Buffy recognizes, oh my gosh, I have my chemistry test. I have to go. Um, and then Wesley's like, hey, I'm your watcher. Stop talking to Giles, essentially, unless it's overdue book fees. And then Buffy just looks straight at Giles and is like, we'll talk. And Giles is like, of course. Which I was like, applaud, applaud. Which I like when they show stuff like that because I think it shows that Buffy isn't like a pushover or isn't anything like that. She just chooses her battles. Yeah. Well, I think they are trying to show that she's pushing back in this episode or this scene because it's a contrast to earlier. And I think they're showing that she is starting to embrace Faith's way of or her mantra more and more now because she's going, I just don't care. And I'm not going to say that that's bad because I think Buffy does need to stand up for herself more than she actually does. Okay. So then this scene, they're supposed to be taking this chemistry test. Buffy just wants to talk about how amazing it was slaying. And uh, every time she talks about Faith, Xander's eye twitches because I keep forgetting that Xander and Faith slept together. Well, I mean, okay, we don't really need to talk about that. <laughs> I'm like, that makes me uncomfortable. But the part of the episode that I I don't think I ever really noticed was the fact that she bailed on Willow. And I really feel like we need to, to give a little bit of a time to that. Mm. Uh, that's the part that I'm kind of like a little bit disappointed in Buffy and mm-hmm. just because we got mad at like Willow for doing that in, um, as a Deadman's mm-hmm. party. And I didn't even pick that up until I watched this. And like Willa doesn't say it in a snarky way. She just kind of says it as like a matter of fact, like it kind of in a passing way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do feel like from Will's perspective, this episode sucks, like really bad. And I for do sure. feel really bad for her. Yeah. No, totally. And I don't think the episode paints it as a good thing because Buffy kind of blows her off twice in this episode and you can tell that it really does hurt Willow. Um, I mean, even the way Buffy's talking, she's like, no, you can't know what it's like. It's a Slayer thing. So she's like creating this isolation between them in a not good way, you know? So then Faith shows up and I was like, okay, did the teacher just like leave the room or something? Because Faith is all like, hey, girlfriend. And <laughs> I know, illegal. <laughs> but she like shouts it Literally into the room illegal. while everybody's ch- like whispering. I was like, whoa, where's the teacher? <laughs> all right. So Douglas Petrie says about this shot where Faith draws the heart with the stake through it. He says, there was a girl in my high school who I remember was an actual, in quotations, bad girl who I will protect by not naming her. And I remember her coming to the window of a class and breathing on the glass and drawing a little image on it and calling another girl out. So that's based on life. And he says, I love this. There's the heart again. And he says, lesbian subtext, but the heart with the stake through it, that's got stakes in vampires. And yet it's this kind of romantic image at the same time, because it's almost a seduction. Faith is very sexy. And she's saying, come play with me. And here we have the growing lesbian subtext between these two, which was always fun to play with. Eliza was always pushing the sexuality, and no one remembered to stop her from that, which we are very happy about. Faith was very attractive to Buffy in a lot of ways, so there was definitely this subtle and 
and sometimes not so subtle lesbian subtext, where Faith is very seductive. She likes to come play with me. Let's be what we really are. And Buffy has always been a little bit uncomfortable with that. Um, When this season was airing, a lot of fans pointed out the subtext in the show, and it apparently pissed Joss Whedon off because he was like, no, I didn't write that. That's not there. And then he went back and watched the episodes and looked, and then he had to come back and admit to fans that they were right, that it actually was there, even though he hadn't initially written it in, which I think is kind of funny. I think there's just a running theme with actors in the show taking liberties with their characters. Yes. uh, Which I feel like is a normal thing to do. And I actually don't mind that characters do that because they're really – or actors doing that because they really feel and feel like they understand their – characters i feel like it's hard because i've heard of situations where this has gone really well where like with smg in certain scenarios in the later seasons where she's gone and like begging the writers being like i know my character she wouldn't do this or like other shows like in euphoria where like um zendaya has like a voice in her character rue and because she really understands and cares for her but then there are certain scenarios where i see where it's like sometimes they can give the actors a little bit too much Mm -hmm. reins and they don't really quite understand the story of where they're heading Mm -hmm. but also i think that it's really selfish as a writer to get mad at your fans for interpreting Mm -hmm. something that you may not have intentionally Mm -hmm. written because here's the thing People are going to see what they want to see. And sometimes they're going to relate to a character, even if you didn't mean to put it there, because you cannot know everyone's experiences. And I think the thing is true, especially with queer characters, there was not any representation for queer characters in TV shows or movies. Like there just wasn't. And so people had to read into it. They had to like kind of read undertones because that's all we got. I mean, even if you think about movies, what is it like psycho where like um, they, they wrote the character to like be kind of like queer coded. Mm -hmm. And then they like threw in the fact that he was like obsessed with the girl or whatever. So that to make it seem like he wasn't actually gay, but like, it's kind of like well known that the character was supposed to be perceived as a gay character. And so it's like stuff like that where it's like, it, it was a pattern so much in movies and TV shows to kind of show like gay characters that like weren't gay, but were supposed to be mm-hmm. like kind of read into. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, just like, don't get mad at your audience for reading something there that you may not have intended for it to be there in the moment. I think the whole psycho thing was a little bit different. I understand what you're saying, Lena. I totally agree. Um, but um, Norman Bates' character, who's the actor who plays him? Know. It's someone's. What's his famous name? I don't know. But he was told to play his character gay because I feel like during that time they would purposely do that to kind of vilify, like, manipulate the mm-hmm. audience. Yep, to manipulate the audience to be like, if you're gay you're evil or this is what happens when you like give in to your evil side or like whatever that was. It was kind of a way of manipulating people into being like, or there's a huge, 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 huge thing um, during that time. And up until like the eighties, sometimes the nineties where um, there'd be like a gay couple and then one of them would end up dying. So they never got a happy ending. And so like, there's just like this unhealthy representation. So I feel like queer coding was a huge thing or just a stand-in for viewers because they didn't get that representation, like Leah said. I also think that, like, 
Joss should be flattered. Like if people are seeing themselves in your characters or seeing something that you didn't necessarily write, like I feel like go with it or, you know, let them see what they want to see because they're still like interacting with your media. So I don't understand the anger, but yep, it is what it is. For me, I see the subtext. I see it. But I think that Faith is also written as a highly sexual character. So it's hard sometimes to separate out her behavior towards Buffy as unique. Well, and I think it's hard too because we've associated slang with sex and sexuality. So I think therefore, anytime you have a dynamic between two slayers, there's going to be that sexual undertone because slang is inherently a sexual thing because there is that whole metaphor of vampires and Well, and even using the stake as a phallic imagery of using the power against the people who normally wield that against women, you know? And I mean, the thing is, is that it's hard to tell if Faith wants to be Buffy or if she wants Buffy. I think they sometimes get very entangled. For me personally, I view it as it's more compelling if Faith wants to be Buffy and wants her life. Um, I think that there's a lot more that goes in there, but I also 100% understand where people are coming from if they're like, no, I see it as Faith is in love with Buffy. You know, I have a little bit harder of a time if I'm like, people say that Buffy's in love or at least is seduced by Faith. Um, just because I think she has eyes only for Angel at this point in the season. I think it could be a little bit of both, but I think that like the majority of it is her wanting to be Buffy. So Willow completely freaking out. She can't. You can't. Can you? <laughs> Willow, never the rule breaker over here, is like having an aneurysm. Buffy, this is 15% of the final grade. <laughs> in in Willow's defense, if I was a friend and I saw my other friend skipping out on a final for no reason, I would be a little bit like, dude, like, I mean, do what you want, but also like, really? Like, you're not going to try a little bit, especially with the amount of school Buffy has missed. It's like, she can't really afford to just leave. Well, and I think they pointedly showed that they were getting like college admissions and that Willow is. And so it's kind of like the subtle message they're sending here is, Buffy, if you don't keep up your grades, you will not even get the chance to go to college. Even if you don't think you can go to college, Like that door is going to be completely shut for you. You will lose the opportunity to even have a choice in the matter, you know? So then- you know, Faith has this amazing idea and is like, hey, I found the nest. Let's go attack them in daylight. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that's such a good idea. I don't think they've done that ever in the show before. And then we have this next string of scenes that is just iconic. I think when everybody thinks of this episode, these are the scenes that they think of. And we have, you know, Rise and shine, people. This is your wake-up call. They break down the glass. The sunlight streams in. And you have them both pulling their stakes out at the same time. And then we have this dance in the bronze. So they are dancing to Curve's Chinese Burn, and this song is sick. Um, Passion of the Nerd. I don't know that I necessarily agree with this analysis, but he talks about how Faith grabs Buffy's hand and lifts it over her head as they're dancing, and he equates it to a puppet master or marionette dancing their puppet as almost like this. It it's the it fits in with the seduction theme, but also oh, this um this mindset of like Faith is kind of leading Buffy down that path. But I don't like that because I think that Buffy is fully in 
uh, is fully conscious and is fully making this decision. And I don't see Faith as manipulating her any. If anything, it's not that it's not that Faith is making her manipulating her. It's the only word I would use is Faith is tempting her, because Faith wants Buffy on yeah, her side. Absolutely. Really fun fact. So X Men Evolution episode Skycam. It's the animated X Men. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to say cartoon. What do you? I guess just animation. What do you call it? It's cartoon. It's it's. Is it the theme song where it's like? Yeah 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 yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, it's cartoon. Iconic. Well, I mean, I feel like cartoon sounds childish, but you know what I mean. Um. Okay. So there is in the episode Skycam, Rogue and Kitty's dance was modeled after Faith and Buffy dancing in this episode. Which, if you go and look at them, I'll post it on Instagram side by side. It's exactly frame for frame, and it's really fun because Kitty Pride was Joss's inspiration for Buffy, and so it's kind of like this full circle moment, and it's really really fun. Also, I want to say I love that Buffy still notices Angel there, even with all the noise, even with everything that's going on, she senses that he's there. And I think it's significant that he's inserted into this scene to show that Buffy only has eyes for him. I just think that this is a tribute to how like healthy the relationship is. That like obviously what Buffy's doing isn't like the greatest, but she also knows that this means yeah. nothing to her. Like she's literally just dancing, right. she's living it up, but like She's not grinding yeah. on any of them. She's not doing – she's just she's enjoying just the moment. Scene. Yeah. And like she – as soon as she sees Angel, she goes and like – but I, I don't know. This scene is is interesting to me because like she's like super like in her sexual feels in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and like he's not taking advantage of that. And I just would like to give mm-hmm. a little like applause to Angel because it's like I feel like a guy could – take this opportunity to like live into that and steer it uh, steer into that um even when they're sitting down she's all cuddling up next to him he like moves seats but not in like a patronizing or i'm withholding my affection it's like him being like i don't want to be with you while you're in this state and so he gives her space to be out of that state um but even like when he leaves it's not like a be careful it's like a be careful. There's also a sort of responsibility on her. It's like he can tell what's going on, but he also trusts her at the same time. Like it's it's a very mm-hmm. well done scene. Like, and he's valid for being a little bit concerned and he's valid for mm-hmm. being a little bit irritated, but it doesn't come across that way to me. Yeah, it's not condescending. Yeah. Angel is very in tune with Buffy and vice versa. And so I think yeah. he is like, okay, Buffy is not herself at this right. point. I want to give her space to figure that out. I think this this scene is one of the ones that I was talking about. There's two um, shots in particular. So when you were talking about the arm thing, so this scene was shot um, not as well as it could have been. They make a conscious choice to have Angel sit down on the left and Buffy sit on the right when Buffy has the wound on her right arm. If they had had Angel sit on the opposite side and Buffy on you know the left side, we would have been able to see her arm in shot for most of the scenes between the two of them. And I, I don't really think there was any reason to have them in the seats that they, they are in in the episode. Um, and the reason why this is significant is the wound on her right arm is supposed to look like, and it's in the exact location as Faith's tattoo. Um, and so the idea is it's supposed to show how Buffy is kind of taking on Faith's agenda and kind of morphing into Faith. And I mean, Faith's supposed to be the shadow side, right? So it's supposed to show how Buffy's kind of being tempted into that. And I thought that was a really cool like visual representation of it that got a little bit lost because you don't really see it a whole lot in the scenes. 
So then Wesley shows up in like the most awkward place ever. I was like the dichotomy of Wesley and his too big suit in this like rave. So funny. Well, and it's also funny that like Wesley as a character, like this is the episode he's introduced in. Right. Because he's like so stuffy. So I'm like stuffy. just like, like, let's crack open a book. And it's like the episode where like, let's go dance and kill vampires. Like, and let's be sexy. Like, and then there's just Wesley. Wesley. <laughs> Wesley's there. And I'm like, what an episode. I literally thought that too. I was like, this is like the funniest episode to just like bring him in on. And Bubby's all like, speak of the really annoying person. <laughs> I like this this side of Buffy. It's it's just very fun to watch. So then Angel kind of, you know, is the exposition guy in this episode, tells her that Balthazar, the demon that they all thought was dead, is actually alive and that he's looking for the amulet. He tells them lo- the location of where Balthazar is. Uh, Wesley is carrying the amulet around in his little coat pocket and Buffy gives it to Angel. I kept trying to put myself in Wesley's shoes in this moment. He's like, wait a minute, who is this tall, mysterious guy that Buffy is very obviously with? And like, why is she handing him the amulet? Does he know that she's a slayer? Like, what is going on? I kind of felt bad for him in this moment. I didn't. I mean, he didn't even care that she was in danger earlier. Like, he doesn't (laughs) get to know anything. (laughs) Leah, I think you lost all rights to that when you didn't care if Alan died or not. Helen isn't the main character. There's a clear difference. <laughs> so then Buffy goes and grabs Faith, dancing the two cute guys. Call me as she points to both of them. So funny. So they decide to go scout out Balthazar. And then we get our first shot of Balthazar. Who came up with this idea? What even is this? This feels like a crossover episode between Doctor Who and Buffy. This is it totally absolutely does. a cross a um doctor who villain but also kind of reminds me of like a star wars doctor who buffy villain all together like like just yes (laughs) but it's also you know like the um she's in the first season she's like supposed to be the oldest human ever in doctor who and she's like a flap of skin yeah she's like moisturized he's like he's like (laughs) moisturized the front i was like hmm is one of the writers on this episode in doctor who because that would make a lot of sense uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we talked about Russell T. Davies is like a massive Buffy fan. So I'm pretty sure yeah. this was probably taken from that. Uh, fun fact. So uh, Douglas Petrie got the idea of Balthasar from Kingpin of all people. Don't know why. Don't ask me why. I do not see Kingpin at all. Interesting. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think about it. The hard part is, is that Kingpin is a pretty fleshed out villain. And he's like a pretty like well-rounded like he's not like a blob like you know what i mean like he's like he's like an actual character and a very good villain right. so i feel like it's kind of yeah balthazar is I feel like it's kind of demeaning to his character to com- get like a bear him to a one-off yeah but i mean like that's where he got his the idea for him from which we talked about before but douglas petrie as well as two other writers from buffy ended up going on to write and produce for the daredevil um, series on Netflix, which introduced Kingpin in, which I thought was kind of funny. So also, what in a world, what a way to die being smothered in fat with your life force being sucked out of you. Like, I think that's got to be up there with like worst ways to go. It's also interesting to note that Balthazar seems motivated by his own individual needs and wants, specifically his own power. Um, he's an example of the usually human sin of selfishness and greed for power. And that's kind of an interesting parallel to Faith, who is motivated by her own needs, wants, and power. So I thought that was kind of an interesting parallel. 
So Buffy and Faith see Balthazar and Buffy's like, okay, there's like 12 bad guys in there and one big demon in desperate need of a Stairmaster. Faith's like, all right, let's just go in. Let's go take them all. And Buffy's like, okay, but we need more firepower, which I think is interesting because that's very different from what she said before. I feel like early on in the episode, Buffy would have been like, heck no, heck no, let's go get Angel, you know? So Buffy wants to go back to the library to get weapons. And Faith is like, well, I guess Jacuzzi Boy isn't going anywhere. And then she decides to go break into a sporting goods store. I think this is such an interesting scene because I can understand where Buffy and Faith can justify themselves Mm -hmm. because they're thinking, oh, we can steal and do all this stuff because we're going to help people. We're going to kill these like people to like protect everyone. And so it's like they're starting to slowly cross these lines of like, oh, we're slayers. We can take things because we help. Yes. Yes. So it's like how much are you going to take? Right, right. And where's that line? Like when do you, when does the taking outweigh the helping? You know, and who makes that call? Is that you guys? Should there be somebody else? Yeah, it's interesting. And so then Buffy's like, "Hey, think they're insured?" Faith's like, "Not my priority." And then she has the whole want, take, and have. So all things philosophical says Faith explains this principle to Buffy when the two break into the sporting goods store to steal the weapons. Faith's expression of her own power as the chosen one turns its back on duty and sees only privilege. Since I am strong, I will take what I want and do as I wish. One can relate to this with Friedrich Nietzsche's dual value systems, the master morality and the slave morality. Masters value freedom, self-definition, and self-expression. The master is an individual of action. He or she acts out of their own individual nature and whatever meets their needs is what is good. Nietzsche calls this self-expression the will to power. Slaves value whatever is useful or beneficial to the weak, sympathy, kindness, pity, patience, humility, and helping. The slave morality is the morality of the conquered, in quotations, the herd. It is also resentful and suspicious of any outsider that would threaten the herd, which I thought was an interesting analysis. And then this quote from markwatches.net, he said something really interesting, and I hadn't thought about this before, and I think he kind of aligns with a little bit of what you've been saying, Leah, which is just an interesting perspective. He says, it's about here that bad girl starts to get uncomfortable to watch. Eventually, it becomes downright disturbing, but once Buffy and Faith break into the sports and tackle store, I began to worry about what Faith was advocating for Buffy. I get what Faith's philosophy is. I understand that she's basically saving lives and the world nearly every day, and for that she should be able to have what she wants. That sense of entitlement is partially justified in a way I won't ignore that, but the world doesn't understand who these two women are, and it's not like they can just explain that they're slayers and people will just give them carte blanche to do as they please. I must admit that I love when this show acknowledges the reality that the slayers are in and forces them to deal with that, with being exposed and with being arrested. It's frustrating to watch. We, the audience, know that Buffy and Faith are genuinely trying to save all of Sunnydale. Is a little theft that bad? So I think that's kind of what you were saying earlier on, Leah. It's like... So why aren't we cutting them a little bit of slack, you know? It's the whole moral dilemma. I mean, obviously, this is a little bit different, but like the Robin Hood dilemma. It's like, he's not a bad person, but is stealing from people who earn their wage and giving to the poor morally okay? Or is it morally misconstrued, you know? Yeah. Even if there's a wealth disparity, you know? Yeah. It's it's an interesting And people are literally dying. It's like, but these people have earned it. But also, if you have more than enough money, people are dying. It is also on you to give as well. Right. But then for the people that are able to create those systems, it's like, I know we're talking about, you know, capitalism versus communism versus socialism and all that stuff. But it's like, 
Do we say, hey, people are dying, so to save those people, like you should give up more of your money and make it more equal right. and fair, you know? Yeah. Yup, yup. So the cops come and the script says Buffy looks miserable. She knows what she's doing is wrong, but she's kind of in pretty deep. And Faith's like, you want to get out of here. And okay, the logic that Faith uses is really interesting because she says, hey, we can't save the world in jail. And I can't decide if Faith actually believes that or if she's saying it because she knows that's like the one thing that will cause Buffy to actually like break out of this cop car. It's just very interesting and kind of manipulative. And then, yeah, then this is the point of the episode where I started to worry about the path Buffy was heading down because they actually hurt these cops. They caused the car to crash. Faith doesn't want to call an ambulance. She's like, they're already on their way. And Buffy doesn't say anything against it. She just kind of goes along with it. And I'm like, okay, I feel like we're like really crossing a line here. And I I will say you don't realize how much this episode – ramps up yeah, right. until the end when you're like, whoa, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Buffy did that. I can't believe Faith did that. And then you get the end, you're like, oh, but it also <laughs> doesn't feel rushed right? because it's like the the series of events makes sense because mm-hmm. it's all snowballing. Yeah. You start with, you know, dirty dancing and the next thing you know, you're committing murder in a back alley, like slippery slope, Yeah, man. exactly. So <laughs> girls cover up and don't be slept or else you'll end up in prison. <laughs> totally, you know, natural progression. So Buffy comes in through the back door checking the headlines because she's, you know, <laughs> she wants to know if something probably happened to the cops, but also wants to know if someone saw her in Faith. Well, she's also wearing like all black. Yep. Yeah. It's very interesting. So then uh, Vincent the vampire is inside of the mayor's, um, what is it, his like evil prayer cabinet, evil voodoo cabinet, something like that. So uh, Mr. Trick knocks him out and the mayor is like, keep him around. Then we have Balthazar over there talking about how, oh, Vincent made a noble effort. And then we get this interesting little tidbit where Balthazar says, it's been 100 years since my enemy crippled me. Now ultimate power is within his grasp, and I will not see it happen. This town is mine to destroy, yada, 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 all that stuff. And then he asks them to go bring the Watchers to him. And I think we are – like it's not overtly stated, but it's pretty obvious that he's talking about the mayor and the mayor's plan to take over the town. Well, it's also kind of scary because it's like you look at Balthasar and you look at the mayor and you're like, what did the mayor do? Like – the mayor, this guy's rough. The mayor looking. doesn't look like the type to be like, like do something brutal. He looks like more of a manipulator. And so it's like, what sure. like did the mayor do? Yeah, and like this was like a hundred years ago. So how old is the mayor? Is the mayor a demon? Like what is going on? There's a lot of questions we have. Okay, so then this scene with in Buffy's bedroom. The view, it's shot so interestingly. It's shot from behind Buffy's bed, facing the doorway, and It just like, I think it's just to show the intimacy of their friendship and stuff. But Buffy is again wearing all black. And then Willow asks, Hey, like, we're going to go slay, right? Because that's normally something they all do together. And Buffy's like, "Um, I just don't want you to, I don't want you to be in danger. And Willow's like, I can handle myself. I've done this before. And then Faith comes in and it all kind of clicks into place for for Willow. But I, I will say, in Buffy's defense, I don't like I don't think her motivations in this moment were necessarily pure because her and like Faith were gonna go do some shady stuff. 
But I also don't think that it's completely unjustified for Buffy to be like, hey, like we have two Slayers now. We don't need you guys to constantly be in the battle. Sure. I understand that perspective, but I don't think that's what it was in this moment. I think in this moment it was, I don't want her around because I don't want her to judge me and or be mad at me for the things that I'm doing. That's how I read it. Um, People can read it differently. And I think that I can understand the other perspective and that other perspective isn't wrong because it's like, if I do have another Slayer, then it's easier because I don't have to like necessarily put my friends' lives in danger. Um, But even in that moment, like, Willow mentions, she's like, well, because like, we're your friends, you know, like we can be there for you and help you in combat because we're your friends by saying like, we love you and like, we don't mind doing this. I also get the sense that I think Buffy's trying to protect Willow, not just from the physical side of slang, but I think Buffy's a little afraid that Willow's going to be exposed to the path that her and Faith are going on. And there's obviously guilt, like you said, Tabby, but I think there's also a sense of like, she wants to protect Willow from that. Um, but yeah, it's just kind sure. of a sad scene. Willow's like stupid. She sits there. It's really sad. So then Faith and Buffy meet up and Faith has the longbow, which I thought was really interesting because that meant she went back and got it from the store that they robbed, which I think shows now we're starting to see a separation between Faith and Buffy's mindset. Mm-hmm. Like Faith's going, oh man, we got caught. Whatever. I'm going to go back and get the weaponry. And Buffy's going yeah. – wait a minute, like, do you not see how we kind of maybe took that too far? I think that's a great point that you brought up, Sarah, because we'll see this a little bit later. Um, The difference between, or the biggest difference that they're showing us between Buffy and Faith right now is, yes, they went through the same situations throughout most of the episode, but Faith goes back to kind of cover her butt or and or show no remorse afterwards, whereas like, you could tell Buffy really sits through and, and really thinks about her consequences. Um, like Faith goes back and grabs the cross, crossbow. Mm-hmm. And then after Faith accidentally kills the man, she goes back and takes dumps the body because she doesn't want consequences for it. So Faith and Buffy are fighting vampires inside the alley. And you could just tell like where this is going. It's ramping up. And there's a couple of uh, moments where Faith is just like staking them one after the other. And you can tell she's like getting into a groove. She's not even like checking before she stakes it. And it's really interesting how the shot is set up to show how impulsive and almost out of control Faith is starting to become. Like she's just in the groove and she's not even aware of her surroundings anymore. So they go down the, the alleyway and that's when they run into Alan Finch and Passion the Nerd brought this up, and I kind of agree. I think the way this was edited was a little clunky because it seemed like too long of a time before Faith, like, you know, Faith goes to stake Alan. Buffy goes, wait, Faith, no, or Faith, wait, or whatever. And then it, like, draws back to see Faith still going for Alan. And I think they could have cut it and edited a little bit better so it didn't seem like there was such a long pause between what Buffy said and how Faith reacted. Um, And I think it makes it seem as if Faith heard Buffy and decided to go anyway. But I don't think that's what actually happened. Honestly, even if Faith did hear Buffy, I don't think that she actually heard her. Like, I think it was like she was so in the groove that she just was sure. like, like, didn't register. Yeah. And this this death is – this is jarring. They It's a good 20 seconds of him just bleeding out and dying. And I I know they they intentionally did that and lingered on it because they want you to feel the effects of what Faith has just done. Um, and the fact that, like, they just killed a human – um, 
And I, I know that Faith is in shock, but it's interesting how Buffy is going over there and trying to stop the bleeding. And she's telling him, like, dial 911, like, call an ambulance, and Faith doesn't move. Um, and I think that that is a trauma response for one, but I think it's also they're trying to show that, like, to Buffy, it's more important than for Faith in that moment to Or for Alan. Buffy. Buffy and Faith, I mean, we've it's been hinted and based on – Faith's actions, she's had a lot of trauma as well. But I feel like the biggest difference between right. Buffy and Faith at this point in time is we know that both of them have gone through a mass majority of trauma. We've seen Buffy's firsthand. But Buffy's default is to, no matter what, do the right thing. We see that in Becoming. We see that in so many other situations. Prophecy Girl, like even in the midst of trauma, she chooses to kill her boyfriend. She chooses to die. She chooses to help her friends. She chooses to sacrifice herself. There's so many things. Mm -hmm. And so in this moment, Buffy is traumatized, but she's thinking, help this man, call 911. Whereas with Faith, we've seen her freeze up and kind of go a little bit hysterical with, um, what's that dude in in, um, Faith, Hope, and Trick? Yes, with Kikisos. So it, Kissing toast. Um, so we're not at all supposed to be surprised in the situation. It is a, like for sure a little bit frustrating, um, but I'm not at all surprised by this response of hers. Right. And I I get the sense 100% that Faith is remorseful. Um, I think it just literally is a what have I done? And, you know, it's the fight or flight. Faith runs away. And so I think in that mind, she's just shuddered. I also think Faith is the one who actually killed him. Buffy is not. So therefore, Buffy doesn't really have the guilt of killing him. She does in the sense that she was there and she witnessed it and she understands the responsibility of a slayer, but she's not the one who delivered the final blow. Mm -hmm. Therefore, Faith's response is going to be a bit different. Sure. And this is something that Ted started. What happens if a slayer kills someone? Should they be held responsible if it was an accident, if they were doing their job? And in like, you know, a not a perfect world, but in with a perfect system, slayers should be held to the same standards as law enforcement or others. Um, and it's just, it's a shame that because they are doing their job covertly, it makes things very complicated. Um, so the girls take off, hear sirens, um, and they get separated and Buffy runs into Angel. And this is a really interesting uh, moment because Angel obviously smells blood on her that's not hers, and she goes to hide her hands and doesn't want him to see. And you can tell, you can tell he senses something's up. There's more to the story, but he, there's more important things going on at this moment. And so he tells her, you know, they have Giles, and it's at the warehouse. So they both start heading in that direction. And then we have this really powerful moment where Faith goes back to the alley. And she can't, she can't touch the body. Like you can just tell she is horrified at what she's done. And I think it's important to note the guilt and remorse on Faith's face. I think that is one thing that can be hidden is that like Faith is absolutely remorseful, but it's just that she's hiding it later on when she talks to Buffy. So then, you know, in true weed and form, we go from, you know, gut-wrenching scene to absolutely hysterical scene here where Wesley is just turned into like this sniveling little worm and Giles looks cool in comparison. (laughs) Well, thank God you were here. I was planning to panic. I think there's just a big difference between like book knowledge and being quote unquote trained to be a watcher, but then having field time. Right. 
Yeah. Exactly. Giles, if it's someone to scrub those hard to reach areas, I'd like to request that you kill me. Literally. Oh my gosh, so funny. Wes is like, what is that thing? He's like, that would be your demon. You know, the one that is dead. No need to get snippy. So then Wesley, afraid for his life, ends up ratting out that the Slayer, he doesn't even call her Buffy, just as the Slayer gave it to someone, a tall man. And then this moment, is it just me or did they make Angel like extra epic in this episode? I was like, Whoa. I was thinking that too. Pass the fan, man. He's like, what is his name? His name is Angel. I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. So then they have this whole scene where uh, Angel and Buffy are fighting. And I love how Giles actually is defending Wesley, pulls out the sword, looks super suave doing it. I was like, ugh. This episode. Wesley's like, oh, Mr. Giles, as if he's expecting Giles to help him with literally everything that's going on to save everyone and Buffy and himself. I know, right? And he like pushes him in a corner. It was like, okay. And then Balthazar and like fat tub of lard is over there like, unacceptable, unacceptable. He's so annoying. He's so annoying. He's such a pointless, pointless villain. So then Balthazar is able to like use his weird voodoo power, whatever, grabs Angel, brings him over, and Buffy, ever resourceful, grabs, <laughs> you know, the exposed wiring that the mayor was talking about back in, uh, was it Band Candy, uh, that they apparently have not fixed, and um, zaps Balthazar in his giant tub. I mean, I will say that's pretty accurate for uh, city budgets is that they don't fix actual issues. Most realistic part of this episode, 100%. I also want to say Faith is is not here. And I and I know – and I like your point, Leah, about the fact that Faith was the one that actually killed the man. But that's still traumatic and traumatizing for Buffy as well. And I think knowing Buffy, she will hold that guilt as if she actually was the one that killed Alan Finch. Um, but Buffy still does her job. And Buffy goes in and is able to perform and save – the Watchers, and, um, you know, kill Balthazar while Faith just runs and takes off. And we've talked a lot about how this epi- or the season is about choices and it's about accepting responsibility. And here again, we see Buffy in, is accepting responsibility um, and Faith is running away. So before Balthazar dies, he says, you think you've won. When he rises, you'll wish I had killed you all. When who rises? Tell us or tell them. We know. Let's go. Um, So then we see this quick shot of the mayor. He is now invincible. And that is quite a twist and quite a leap. So Buffy officially cannot kill him till the finale now. Oh, no. Oh, I just love how like his little like notepad says plumbing reschedule, call temp agency, become invincible, meet the PDA. And haircut. And then he just checks off, be, become invincible. And it's like right in the middle. It's not even like the big thing. It's literally just like become invincible, meeting with PTA. Should have added electrical exposed yeah. wiring down there. I, I love like the, the switch between being like creepy and sinister and then going straight into comedy with his character. Like he's like in the middle of like this ritual thing. And then he goes, I don't understand why Ald would miss this. He's usually really punctual. Yeah, he acts like Alan's like his BFF. He's like, where's Alan? Where's my friend? And he was like annoyed at him in the beginning of the episode. (laughs) So then we have this last shot here with Faith and Buffy. So Buffy is back. um, Like you were talking about tabs. Buffy is back in her normal outfit. I think she's wearing baby blue again. The black is gone. Um, And I think this is Buffy like 
showing that she's taking responsibility, that she's chosen her path. And it's really interesting, like Faith. She's cleaning blood out of her white shirt. Her ledger is red. Yeah. Well, it's supposed to be a nod to Lady Macbeth. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I kind of viewed it as like her cleaning like blood, which is like obviously bright red, but then out of like a white shirt is supposed to be kind of like symbolic of just like like her acting as if it doesn't bug her on something so innocent like white, but right. like you can't wear the shirt without seeing the red. Like her kind of trying to wash it out was redundant. It's yeah. like it's not going to not be there, you know? Like it's a white shirt. If you're going to do something, you're not going to be seen as the same person. You're not going to be seen as like an innocent. I think the scene's just so hard because the way that Buffy handles herself is beautiful. She doesn't really judge Faith. She doesn't really like come at her and be like, how could you do that? Blah, blah, blah. Like because Buffy understands the – the adrenaline and the, the stupid rash decisions. And I think it's, I think that that's what makes it even harder for Faith is the fact that Buffy really tried. Yeah. And then Buffy asks her, How are you doing? You know, um, the scene kind of mirrors how it was in Faith, Hope, and Trick. Buffy saying, Don't isolate yourself. Um, I know you. I know you're putting on an act. I know this bothers you. Um, and she says, right now we need each other. This is her holding out an olive branch the same way she did in Faith, Hope, and Trick, the same way she did in Revelations. This is the third time Buffy has come to Faith and is reaching out the hand of friendship. I like little small a little small detail in this interaction um, is the same thing when Buffy's kind of not being herself and she has a conversation with Angel in the bronze and he says, be careful. And she says, you know me. And he mm -hmm. says, I mean it. It's like, usually people say, you know me. It's like, look at my patterns. You know that like, I wouldn't do this. Kind of like a subtle, like, like, I don't want to say manipulation, but it's like, oh, you know me. I would never do that. Mm -hmm. But like, it's Angel's kind of holding, uh -huh, Angel's kind of holding her to that being like, I mean it. Like he's like, I see what you're doing, sort of thing. And then in this interaction, Faith says the same thing. Yeah. Um, she's asking how she is, and then Faith goes, You know me. Mm -hmm. But by by her saying that, she's like, Well, you know me, I don't feel things. It's fine. But mm -hmm. Buffy's thinking, like, Angel was in the moment. She's like, No, I do know you. You're not fine. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then Buffy's like, You can shut me out on this, Faith. Sooner or later, we're both going to have to deal. Faith says, Wrong. Buffy says, I can help you. Faith says, I don't need it. And Buffy says, Yeah, who's wrong now? You can shut off all the emotions you want, but there's still the fact that sooner or later, they have to find a body. And then Faith's like, We're not having this conversation. This is the last time we're having this conversation that we're not having. Um, I took the body. It doesn't exist. Basically, Faith's saying, Let's just pretend it never happened because it didn't, because it doesn't bother me, you know? Faith, you don't get it. You killed a man. Faith, no, you don't get it. I don't care. And the episode ends and there's no music and you're left to sit with the weight of those words and their implications. It is just amazing. So for all of you doubters who thought that the season three wasn't going to pack a punch, just you wait, bro. Yeah, dude. It's just getting started. And I think it's not true that Faith doesn't care. I don't think there's anyone out there that's like, oh, yeah, Faith genuinely doesn't care. She does care, but all she's done her entire life is run, and this is her running again. It's a trauma response. Um, and I think that she doesn't care enough to sacrifice herself and open herself up to trusting someone to help her. She's been hurt so much that she doesn't want to accept help because she the only person she can trust is herself. 
you know? So I, I was mistaken. I think in Revelations, I mentioned that Faith was supposed to hang herself at the end of Revelations. Um, I It actually was supposed to be the end of this episode. This was the scene that Buffy was supposed to come in and having found Faith dead as a result of killing Alan Finch. But obviously- Yikes. We, yeah. Isn't that dark? I think I've heard that before. I mean, I understand that, but I also feel like, I mean, we'll see, but what could be done I won't say what will be done, but what could be done with face character is a lot more interesting than it ending here. All right, guys, that was Bad Girls. Whew, that was an intense episode. And oh my goodness, guys, this is just the beginning of just what is going to be one of the best string of episodes that the series has to offer. And I cannot wait to talk about it and dissect it with you guys it's going to be good. As always, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Tubblr, on TikTok at Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Definitely let us know your guys' thoughts on this episode. I've already gotten so many emails from you guys talking about this one and the next one. Um, I always love hearing your guys' thoughts. So let us know and we will talk to you guys next time.